our worship team, if you, uh, you thought you got here early, they really got here early this morning. So let's give them a round of applause for being here this morning to lead us in worship. Well, let me just say, if you're here this morning, uh, I, I'm, I think you deserve brownie points for being here. Uh, the hour earlier, the, uh, the rain, uh, and now you can get mega points if you stay awake during this message, okay? So uh, just bear with me and stay with me. Well, we're still looking at the subject, Reviving the Wounded Heart. Last week, we talked about the people who hurt. Who, who in your life has the greatest potential to hurt you the most is the people you're closest to. And we looked at this last week. Hurt is hurt, but its impact and depth are determined by the closeness of the relationship with the offender. And I would dare say that every one of us have been hurt by those people in our lives. And I think it's, it's really important that, first of all, as we said last week, that we, as we make our way down this path of healing, that the first thing we do is identify those who have hurt us. Who are the people? Who is the person that has hurt you in your past? And it may be something that's very deep-seated. And that leads us to the idea, not only of who has hurt you, but how did it make you feel? Identify the emotions that come with that. And then, of course, what is your natural inclination? Left to your flesh, how will you respond to the hurt that's in your life? And I guarantee you, if you're responding in the flesh, there's something going on that could get you in a lot of trouble. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, are the lies that we believe or the rationalizations that we take on in the midst of our pain. And so this morning, what we're going to do is replace the lie with the truth of God's Word. Today, we're looking at the peril of hostility. And I want to ask you to turn to two places this morning, and they're close, uh, closely linked, Philippians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll go ahead and turn to both of those places, uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Now, God desires the best for us, His children. But sometimes, from our perspective, it doesn't look like it can even come close to being the best. But we must keep in mind that he knows the best path for us. He knows how to navigate us through this fallen world with fallen people. And his word tells us how we can respond appropriately. But sometimes our sinful nature takes the lead in how we handle hurt and conflict. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, to a person, but its way leads to death, or a path that leads to destruction. And many of us have been on that path before, many times. It's not, it's not just talking about death. It's talking about those things that could lead to death. And for some of us, we don't realize that doing it our way can lead to destruction. And then in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus made this statement. And most of us, when we think of this verse or this statement, we think he's talking about heaven or hell, but it's more than that. Listen to what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad or easy is the way that leads to destruction. If you were to, 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 to really go with the flow, Honor the wishes of your flesh, 
it will be easy for you to move to a path of destruction. And there are many who go by it. There's many who take this path. Because narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So what I want you to think about, could this be in relation to our salvation, whether we're talking about the, the path to heaven or the path to hell? Absolutely, you could work that in there. And there's a lot of meaning to that. But secondly, it's really also what we find here in this life, the reality of this life. If we go the easy way, if we just follow the inclinations of our flesh and what we want to do, great is the potential for destruction. But narrow is the way. And that narrow way is God's way. What, what does the narrow way look like? All through God's word, we, we read about the narrow way. Here's some of the language of the narrow way. Turn the other cheek. How many of you like that one? Turn the other cheek. Someone hurts you, turn the other cheek. Uh, how about this one? Deny yourself. This is all language of the narrow way. Put others first. Love your enemies. This is narrow way talk. And when we do these things, they will become very beneficial to us. Even though it's difficult, it's not easy. It's difficult. It still leads to the best possible outcome. But it gets deeper than that. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord how? Always. That's narrow path talking. That's the narrow way. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to who? All people, all men. That's narrow path talking. That's the narrow way. And then it says, for the Lord is at hand. Some have interpreted this to mean that he's, he's on his way. Or he, but I interpret it here as looking here in the context that he's watching. He's ready to work on our behalf when we put these things forward. And then he says this. Again, another narrow way language. Be anxious for what? Nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Now again, I want you to think about this. This is the narrow way. This is the mentality of the narrow way. How many of you would say, this? oh, this is easy? It is not easy, is it? And he's really talking that through. So what Jesus is talking about, what Paul's talking about, what all the writers of the New Testament especially, they're describing the best way. But it's the narrow way. And it can be very difficult. But here's what happens when we follow the narrow way. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, the translation could be then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the result of the narrow way. God's path for us, listen, is one of peace, something we all extremely desire. How many of you just desire peace? You desire peace in your life. Yet there's these little pockets of drama and these little things over here that are holding us back. And, and yet what we read in Scripture is if we will leave it up to God, if we will seek His Word, if we will quit believing the lies that we believe about ourselves and how we conduct ourselves and we trade it for the truth of God's Word, it won't be easy, but it will be the best way. And he says, and it will bring about a peace 
that will blow your mind. That's what it means. It surpasses knowledge. And that's what he's offering through this narrow way. Now, look at the introduction. Hostility in the mind displaces peace in the heart. Peace is a state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. While hostility is a state of opposition, resistance, and even warfare. Which one rules your mind and heart? Which one of these would describe the inner being of who you are? Is it hostility or is it one of peace? One of peace. And again, if you say, okay, what is God aiming for? What, what direction is you trying to move my life towards? He's trying to move you towards peace, the narrow way. In the midst, and this is what blows your mind, in the midst of all those things that make us, make us anxious, in the midst of all the worry, in the midst of all the hurt, in the midst of all the pain, that still there can be a core reality of who we are grounded in peace. Now, I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing. And the Bible tells you it's mind-blowing. But it's the path of the narrow way. So, I want us to look this morning at the effects of hostility towards others. When we have hostility towards other people, what does it truly affect? It affects a lot. And so when the Bible talks about the, the, the broad way being destructive, or there's a way that seems right to man that ends in destruction, this is the type of things it's talking about when hurt comes into our life and we react in such a way that it brings hostility and builds hostility within our souls. And so there's, it affects every area of our life. The first area I want us to look at this morning is emotionally. Emotionally. Emotionally, if we don't handle hurt properly, we can become calloused, isolated, and of course, angered. Angered. Now, I don't know about you, but anger can do one of two things. It can explode or it can implode. How many of you have lived both of those? <laughs> With you doing this or the victim of it, <laughs> okay? And it can happen both ways. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Here, here's what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now, when anger is released suddenly and outwardly, that's what this is talking about. The results can bring great harm to close relationships. And so all of a sudden you're sitting here and you're looking and you're seeing anger that has the potential to explode. Secondly, anger that can implode. Where does that come from in this? Well, look at verse 26 again. He says, be angry and do not sin, don't explode. And then he says this, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, don't internalize it in such a way that it builds up. And when he says wrath, he's talking about wrath is, is anger that's intensified under pressure. When anger is released inwardly, it can cause depression. It can cause us to feel bottled up. And what we do is we file things away, but then we stuff it as far down as possible. And, and if you were to look around the room this morning, I guarantee you, you'll find two categories of people. Those where their anger explodes and those where their anger implodes. And, and, and we're all victims of it. And we all will probably handle it one of these two ways. So at this point, when hurt is met with anger, then it becomes wrath. 
And if it's not, and if not properly dealt with, the results can be devastating, listen, for the wounded. Not the offender, the wounded. Now, some of you would look at that and say, that just doesn't seem right, does it? <laughs> it's not right, but it's what happens. It's what happens. The hostility within can create emotional paralysis and isolation. And I talked about this a little bit last week. At the moment we encounter wrath, at the, minute, at the moment that we bottle that up and it becomes a part of who we are, is the moment in which we quit growing emotionally. Emotionally. Now, let me just say this. I mean no offense by this other than the fact that it is a reality if you look close enough. A lot of people, and I use this a lot, but it's true, their emotional development for many people, it does start with the hurt. But for a lot of people, they act out the way an eighth grader would act out. Uh, and you say, why are you beating up the eighth graders for? Well, that seems to be the years <laughs> that we hold on to for some people. And, and it becomes that moment where, you know, we, we, we start going more the broad way, the easy way. And we're going to get back at the harder you hit me, the harder I'm going to hit you back. That whole mentality. But what happens is, is when we allowed it to fester in us, we emotionally stop growing. Secondly, it affects us. This hostility towards other. it affects us spiritually in a way that we're impeded, encumbered, and even unfruitful. And, and there's two ways I see this shows up. First of all, it gives the enemy a stronghold in your life. A stronghold in your life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, here's what he says. Be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I mean, he's basically covering both of them. He said, you need to handle it the proper way. And if you don't, verse 27, you'll give place to the devil, to the enemy. You'll give place. So, so here's what it means. If we don't handle our hurt correctly, then we open the door to the enemy. We literally open our soul up to the enemy. We literally give him the upper hand in our lives. For some, it may be the higher ground. And if you use that terminology and you look at that closely, and you look at it as it relates to battle and war, in war, what do you always want? You want the higher ground. You want the higher ground. And what you're doing is when you hold on and harbor your bitterness and your hurt and you don't deal it with it correctly, then all of a sudden you've literally opened a door to your soul for the enemy to move in and to set up a foothold or the, he takes the higher ground in your life. Now you say, man, that, that's, that's speaking harsh here. It happens. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been through it. I've been through, I've come, I've come out of it, but boy, did it, did it paralyze me for years? Yes, it did. Did it affect my spiritual growth? Yes, it did. Did, did, it, did it seem like the enemy had his way with me at times? Absolutely he did. We got to pay attention. Why do we need to pay attention? Look here on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
So if we're going to overcome this, if we're going to spiritually overcome what it takes to when hurt comes our way, if we're going to handle it the narrow way, then the thing we got to keep in mind is the flesh will always be limited in its capability of doing anything. Not only limited, it's probably not going to get you anywhere when you rely merely on the flesh. And look what he says. We don't war according to the flesh. This battle that we're fighting when it comes to the hurts and all these things in our life, he's basically saying we don't stand a chance if we try to handle it in and of ourselves. So, what was he talking about? Well, the battle, the enemy, we can't defend against nor have victory in the reality of this world when we try to do it ourselves or we try to do it the world's way. He goes on in, in this passage. For the weapons of our warfare, what is available to us through God is not carnal. You'll never deal with it from within yourself properly. But mighty in God for pulling down or tearing down strongholds. I've taught this passage many times over the years, and I came across something the other day that, that kind of helped me understand more clearly what I think is happening here. When he says strongholds, he's actually talking about fortresses, okay? And if you go back to the old days, back in the ancient world, you're going to find that the nation was strongest when it had big walls, <laughs> when it could defend itself, when it could do that. And so I've always taught it this way, and I've always seen it this way. But if you break down the Greek language, here's what you'll find about this word stronghold. It's not only fortress as far as a nation or a city protecting itself. It also means imprisonment, imprisonment. And it's also used to, de to describe the, the practicality or the physical essence of a prison. And to me, that makes a lot of sense here. It's literally you imprison yourself when you allow a stronghold to come into your life. And what is one of the strongest strongholds we can have in our life? I'm, I'm just speaking from my experience and I'm speaking from what I think I see around. I think it comes by way of hurt and not knowing how to respond to hurt. You could say, well, some addiction. Yeah, addictions can do that. But you know what we know about addictions? We don't normally defend addictions. We normally call it what it is, but when it comes to hurt, we feel justified in feeling that way, don't we? I mean, if you're really honest, no one really likes their addictions, but boy, can we embrace the hurt. We can do that well, can't we? And we can almost feel justified in it, and, and a lot of times we don't even realize that we're imprisoned. So how do we go past that? Here's what he says, casting down arguments you got to quit rationalizing where you are. Well, they did this to me. I have every right to feel exactly how I feel about it. You ever been there? I have. I've defended my position. I've, I've laid it out. And then you cast down arguments and every high thing. If you were to go do a word study on that phrase, high thing, it literally means it's the whole terminology of idols. Idols. You mean to tell me in the context of what we're talking about today that my hurt can become an idol in my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the very thing 
that's setting how you see things, your perspective, uh, how you, how you uh, are around other people, whether you trust or not or whatever. It becomes that thing that controls you. Your hurt can become an idol. And I know that's hard to hear, but it can. And it also means a belief system that's against the truths of God's word. And then he says that exalt itself, and here it is, this is the phrase he's using, against the knowledge of God. Again, what is the knowledge of God? What's the truth of God? God said through Jesus and the apostles and the the writers of the epistles that that when, when you look at what's best for you, it will always be a narrow way, a difficult way, but it's always there. But broad is the way, the easy way. When I start rationalizing and feeling justified in my hurt, and all of a sudden, I have a knowledge that's working against God's knowledge, God's way. And then he says this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, again, this passage is is not just about people who are bound up in hurt. It's people who are bound up in many things. But when you apply it to this idea of hurt, what does he say? Where's the healing going to begin? It's going to begin in the mind. Look what he says. Every thought into captivity. You're going to capture it. You're going to evaluate it. You're going to see, is this of God or not? Is this a lie I'm believing? Is this a rationalization that I've created in my life? Or is this really what God's word says about where I'm at, how I'm acting, and what I'm doing, and what I'm feeling? And he says, what are you to do with it? You bring it to the obedience of Christ. Again, what is that? It's the narrow way. The narrow way is not what the world teaches. It's not what you feel inside yourself necessarily. It's God's way. So the key to defeating the enemy, listen, is knowing how to use the word of God against the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, and the lies we tell ourselves. That is the most effective way you can deal with things the way God desires you to deal with it, is to do that. Next, a second way that we're spiritually affected is extensive deterrent to your spiritual growth. This goes back to what we said about emotionally uh, being stopped. We stop growing. For most of us, we will stop growing spiritually. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Skip down to verse 30. Now, let me start by saying this. When it comes to living out God's word, when it comes to living God's best life for you, okay, it will always involve the Holy Spirit working in your life. Always. Because that's what he's assigned to do. To work in and through you. You know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Jesus even told us in the Gospel of John what he was going to do. And he's handling your spiritual growth. He, that's literally his assignment. To not only bring you to salvation, but to disciple you inwardly, basically. To convict you when you need to be convicted. To teach you when you need to be taught. And all these things. And so here's what he says in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve him. Now how would you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Sin. Unconfessed sin. Not not living the life God called you to live. Harboring something in your life that hinders your growth. 
Because what's his, what's his role in your life? To bring growth. To bring forth fruit through your life. And all of a sudden, you find yourself grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And then he says this, by whom you were sealed. It implies ownership. It, 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 it implies that he, he's there to, to, to keep you safe. His operation in your life is to bring out the best. But it's also the idea of keeping you where you need to be. When? For the day of redemption. We will all be presented. Listen, when we, when we come face to face with our Lord, we will be presented as the Holy Spirit's workmanship when our redemption will be fully realized. Now, I want to ask you a question. Suppose, suppose by the time this day is up, you're going to be standing face to face with the Lord Jesus. Now, are you looking forward to that? Do you think you're ready for that? Is there something there that you're keeping back? Is there, is there, did there come a point some years ago where the Holy Spirit was hindered by the work he was trying to do in your life? And you, deep down, you know it because you'd rather hold on to something instead of allow him to work in and through you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to see him then, do you? I want to be right. But what's happening here, he's basically saying what Paul was saying. You have a, a great, re when you don't respond to the Holy Spirit of God, listen, you're making his work more difficult. <laughs> and you're hurting yourself. Because what's the goal of the Holy Spirit? To bring out the best. To show you the best possible way. So, the effects of hostility towards others. Spiritually, here's what happens. We are impeded, we're encumbered, and we're unfruitful. Not living what we were created to do. And that brings all kinds of problems in a Christian's life. All kinds of problems. Next, the effects of hostility towards others. Mentally. Mentally. And this would imply being bitter, vengeful, resentful. Look at what he says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, I want, you, I want to break this verse down. Look, look what he says. Let all bitterness. There's some translations that says it this way. Let all bitterness with its wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That, that means bitterness is where it starts. And from it comes these things. Okay, so what is wrath? It's intensified pressure within with capabilities of pouring out. We already talked about that. Anger is, inter is internal smoldering or fire within. Clamor is an outburst or a loss of control. Evil speaking becomes slander and speaking badly against someone. Now let me ask you, let's be honest. How many of you, in your anger, all this has happened before? Okay, me and two other people. Bless your hearts. You're sitting there, you, you can't even face it, can you? But anyway, but listen, it goes a little bit further. And listen to what it says. Put away from the, put away those things. Don't let those things act out. And then he says, it's rooted with all malice. The rooted hurt, listen to what, let me tell you what rooted hurt can become. Rooted bitterness can, can become 
Here's why he said this word, the word malice means evil. It can become evil. Wow. You mean to tell me someone has come into my life, they've hurt me in every way imaginable, in worse ways imaginable. No, I mean, I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, obviously, and, and, and maybe you're thinking this of me right now. You're sitting there and you're hurt and you're thinking about how you've been abused, how you've been hurt, and you're sitting there and you're like, obviously you're not talking about the hurt I'm talking about. But let me tell you something. I am talking about any hurt that's in this room. And I'm addressing it from God's word. And the thing you got to understand is, yes, your hurt and you holding on to your hurt can become just as evil as the hurt that someone did to you. Now, how many of you are like, man, I'm so inspired by that? We're not, are we? This is painful to listen to, but this is what we're seeing here. This is the capability of us holding on. Someone has said that bitterness is the memory of hurt entrenched in the mind. And by the way, the enemy loves. You remember I said you're giving him an open door to your soul when you don't deal with the hurt? Let me tell you what the enemy's good at. How many of you follow sports? Anybody follow sports? How many of you heard of instant replay? You ever heard of instant replay? Let me tell you how good the enemy is. The enemy invented instant replay. He did. He will allow that thing to play over and over and over in your mind. And he's good at it, isn't he? He's not only, not only did he invent instant replay, he invented commentary. You ever listen? You ever sat there and listen to a sporting event? They're, they're, they're not just looking at replays. Or they're talking about the, the announcers are talking about what's going on, how it's playing out, what must be going on in someone's mind, how this is going, what, what's going to be the results of this and all that. He's good at that too. And so he's always there playing in our mind. And here it is, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Pursue peace. Again, this is narrow talking. Listen, pursue peace with all people. Who does that include? Your offender. The one who hurt you. Pursue peace with them. There's some of you. I'm surprised you haven't got up and walked out. You're so angry with me talking to you like this. I'm just going to be honest with you, but can you really argue with where I'm pulling this from? I mean, that's narrow talk. It's almost out of your mind kind of talk. And again, what does it lead to? It leads to God's best for you. It's difficult. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which one no one will see the Lord. You know what that literally means? It means no one will see the Lord working in your life. At the moment you hold on to your hurt, at the moment you uh, bring judgments against your offender and you keep pushing, you keep pushing, I guarantee you is the moment you begin to wonder, Does God even care? Is God even around? And you wonder if he even is is even there because you you don't see him working. And why would you do this? Looking careful lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Living, literally walking outside of the grace of God. That's literally what you're doing. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many have become defiled. You know what this tells me? 
my hurt can lead to my own defilement. That person who defiled you, yeah, it's terrible what they did. But did you know that even through that, you, the Bible says you can defile yourself in that. And that's what's so terrible about it all. I want to finish this next week, but I want to bring this up. I, want to, I, I kind of want us to stop here. I think it's a good place to stop. I want to fast forward to the application. I want you to think about these two questions. How is the hurt you are carrying, carrying, uh, carrying affecting you? Now, some of you this morning, maybe, maybe you're alive and well to what you're carrying. Matter of fact, you, you lay great claim to it. Matter of fact, it gets you certain attention. Uh, let me just say this, and, and please understand it. I'm trying to say it delicately, but I've been there, I know. A lot of times we like the attention our hurt brings. That's when we sign up for being a victim. And we let it not only play over in our own minds, we want it to play over and over in other people's minds. And what we're doing is in trying to find a support that's trying to speak God's word into our lives, we're trying to find people who will support our pain and our hurt to go along with us and make us feel justified in what we're feeling. How is your, how is the hurt you're carrying affecting you? Secondly, what is the hurt you are carrying costing you? What's it costing you? I, I can tell you one thing: you're not growing anymore. You're stifled, and, and there's great things that could be coming from this. And, and then, even how I entitled the message: the peril of hostility. The word peril literally has two meanings. It means someone's exposure to injury, loss, or destruction. Someone's exposure. That's what the word peril means. But it has a secondary meaning. Someone that causes injury, loss, or destruction. It it can get very technical very quick. And so you not only have those who are causing it, you also have those that are, who are exposed to it, and it brings out all kinds of hostility. Not just the hostility they brought into your life, but now you take on that hostility, and you begin to be defiled by it. And so I just want to ask you at this moment, if you would, just stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you'll stand with me. I want to end the way I ended last week. Who has hurt you? Who's hurt you? Identify that person. Secondly, how does it make you feel? What kind of pain are you carrying? How are you dealing with the anger? Is it explosions or is it internal? Both can be very dangerous. Very dangerous. And what is your natural inclination? Have you identified the lie that you're believing about all this? Have you identified it? Are you, have you identified the rationalizations that you feel that you're justified in holding? Those are lies. And then fourthly, what does God say? God's word say? You got to identify with the truth. 
you got to move towards the truth. And let me just tell you this. Based on the words of Jesus and the path he has for you, it won't be easy to trade that lie for the truth. It won't be easy. But if you don't, what does he say? It'll lead to destruction. He has the best for you in mind. He has the best for you in mind. In just a moment, we're getting ready to have an invitation. And I just want you to stand there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. There's, there's some people we call prayer partners that are going to come here to the front. And they're going to be here at the front. And they're going to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you at this moment right now, they're here to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to get around this altar and just, you got to pour your heart out to God or whatever it may look like. Come on up here. There's some steps here to my right and my left. Just bypass the prayer partners. You just go there to those stairs and you just pray. Pour your heart out to God. But if you need someone to pray with you, these people are right here at the front and they're willing to pray for you in these moments. So with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed. No one looking around. Because this, this could be a very sensitive moment for people. Where are you this morning? What I'm asking you to do, what God's Word's asking you to do, is to exchange the lie for truth, the darkness for light, the disease for healing, the bondage for freedom, and the feeling for faith. The feeling, the emotions. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Again, we have these that are here at the front that will pray with you. Or maybe you need to get around this altar. Use this time for yourselves.